I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to Better Than Life, the episode-by-episode breakdown of Red Dwarf. I'm Fergus, co-host of The Thing You're Listening To, and Red Dwarf Obsessive. And I'm John, your other co-host, on my first rewatch of the show in years. Every episode, a professionally hilarious person helps us make sense of what we're watching. And so does Alex, who produces the pod and edits out all the bad bits. Except this bit, which is a total hostage to fortune. (laughs) This time, we're diving deep into Series 1, Episode 5, Confidence and Paranoia, with Matt Blair. (laughs) Let's get out there and twat it. Let's. It's a show about a man who's lost three million years in space. His company and evolved cat and a hologram he hates. Plus a fuzzy robot and a ship that's gone senile. We love the jokes and sci-fi stuff, that's why. It's better than Let's get into it, John. Joining us is a very special guest. This guy does it all. He's a comedian. He's a muso. He co-hosted 107 episodes of the Geekatorium podcast. And he's host of the lovely OPH Comedy Night in London. But most importantly, he's a fan of Red Dwarf. Matt Blair! It's Matt Blair! Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, it's such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) It's, It's always nice to just literally... Do you like nerding out on stuff? Yes. Would you like to nerd out and like just make people listen to it. Yes, yes, that would be great. It's it's like being at the party and just like, I really want to talk about this thing, but no one else wants to talk about it. But now I get to yeah. talk about it and actually everyone might want to listen. So that's actually kind of reassuring. Thank you for the validation. Hey. <laughs> you've just you've just found the corner of the of the room that no one else is partying yeah. in where, where there is Red Dwarf discussion happening. You're in safe you're in good company. You remember yes. being at those parties when when you were just on the cusp of getting to old to be at those parties and there was the little corner of the room of the old people at the parties mm, that's the best that's, corner. that's yeah exactly yeah oh no that's what this is are, right yeah. now this okay. is that corner of the party i'll take that so how how old were you when you first experienced red dwarf i mean i must have been 
I must have been 10 or something younger. It was, it was through my brother because my brother used to watch it a lot. My brother's quite a lot older than me. Like there was 14 years difference between me and my brother. So I, I sort of caught him watching it. And that's also how I sort of got into things like Star Trek was my brother watched it. So I watched it. And because it was kind of a naughty show, like Mm. your parents didn't really want you to watch it. They didn't stop you, but they didn't really like you watching it. So that was sort of how there's a a sort of rebellion aspect to watching Red Dwarf as as a youngster, because it wasn't made for my... I wasn't the target audience, but God damn it, I wanted to be that target audience. You know what I mean? Um, and I think I really only got into it around like season three onwards. Like, cause in my mind, like when I was younger, I like Crichton was always in it. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't until um, like years later, I got a VHS and it was, uh, I think three or four episodes of season two. This was like, they didn't release every episode on one VHS cause there wasn't any room. Yeah. Uh, to fit it all on. So it was like three episodes of season two, which was like Better Than Life, Crichton, and... Thanks for the memory, I reckon it would have been. Yes, it was exactly that. I always remember going like, wow, this is the first episode of Crichton, and oh, it's a different person playing Crichton. And I always, like, for years, was like, I'd love to watch the first episode of the new Crichton and how he came into it and all of that. And i got to admit, there was a disappointment when that episode was... Oh, uh, it was just a a, a, a screen crawl of, uh, uh, you know, just, just going, oh, yeah, no, Dave reprogrammed him and now he's in the crew. Great. <laughs> As a kid, I didn't really mind that. But as an older person re-watching it, there's a few things in Red Dwarf that's a little bit like, I wouldn't mind a little bit more consistency. I know it's a comedy show, but can we have a little bit more, you know... And it doesn't really have, even when that there's the episode where they destroy themselves in the, f- the in the future. Yeah. Uh, and he does it by destroying the time machine. And it blows up. And you're like, how is this going to continue? And it sort of continues by, ah, time's f***ed. So, yeah. Mm, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then it just sort of carries on. And it's like. Wibbly wobbly timey wimey. Yeah. yeah. And so, and part of me is like, okay, that's a good joke. But also I'm a little annoyed. <laughs> so, but yeah. they, they do play that joke a few times, right? Exactly. Whereas the episode we're talking about today segues perfectly yeah. into, the, into the next episode. Yeah, the, the, it, mm. it does continue into the next episode. I remember that, that's, that was one of the things when I was watching it. I went, oh, yeah, this does continue on. This does actually set the scene for something else, which is kind of a first. It's usually very sitcommy. Everything resets and yeah. go back. goes back to the beginning. Which is fair enough. Until you're one of those guys at a, at a conference asking Craig Charles why in <laughs> episode three he's got a spot on this side of his face, but in episode four he's got a marker on the other side. Anyway. Privately, I am that kind of person, but I don't like to put it out there. You know. Sure. Sure. It's fine to seethe. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> seething is healthy, isn't it? It's healthy. <laughs> Surely. Yeah. Your first experience of watching the show was series three was a bit of a shock when you went back to series one, when you first saw that that pilot episode. Did you have that experience of going, this is a very different program? No, 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 no. I, I, I didn't think that at all. I, I, I definitely, I enjoyed it. I like... It, it, it's that weird thing that I think that's one of the reasons why things like the Star Wars prequels happened is that I liked going back and seeing it because that's kind of what it's like. You see something from season three, which the beginning of season three is very much a, a, like an intro on it in itself. Mm. And then watching seasons one and two is like watching the prequels. Mm. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting way of doing it. Was it the comedy that hooked you in or the sci-fi? Uh, a 
little of column A and a little of column B. I think right. it's amazing watching back. A lot of it does hold up. A lot of comedy holds up. A lot of it is very dated. A lot of it's very kind of misogynistic and all of that sort of stuff. But when it's just four dudes in space all alone, it's going to go that way. So you can kind of forgive it with a sense of logic. Um, it's because it was so naughty and I was so young. And, uh, you know, just and, and, and having a swear word that didn't really sound like a swear word, the whole smeg thing, it was just one of the to call someone at school a smeg head and 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 it not be so obvious to certain teachers or parents mm. until it was someone once. I think it was a parent that did actually explain to me what the term smeg meant. And I was disgusted with it. Um, but <laughs> I think it's just, yeah, it's just the naughtiness of, of Red Dwarf, the sci fi element. I love sci-fi, don't get me wrong. I, I really love sci-fi. But I, well, I don't think it was that that really drew me in. I think it was just, it was just naughty. That's, that's really what hooked me as a, as a kid. I think the sci-fi probably kept me as, as I got older because the concepts on it were really cool. Like if you harken back to like Doctor Who and Star Trek and all of those things, it's very, it's actually really good sci-fi in a lot of episodes, like really good sci-fi. This episode, I think not as strong sci-fi as some of the other episodes, but it's still like a cool concept. I think it's their first attempt at something they, they do again better yeah. later the the manifestation of the psyche we'll, yes. we'll talk about that in a second yeah, yeah 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 i'd love to talk about that naughtiness a bit more and dig into that because sure i associate young ones with naughtiness Redorf was a different type of naughtiness i think it was maybe a cleverer type of naughtiness i think it was less obscene than bottom for instance right. there's there's a grotesque element about it the fact that you know lister cuts his toenails by biting them and for some reason as a, as a kid i kind of found that sort of disgusting behavior kind of like role modelly like <laughs> which is exactly what your parents didn't want but that's what i really kind of like liked it was like oh it's okay to be disgusting you can be disgusting did you find lister cool did you think lister was cool in a yeah. funky kind of way yeah because it was a it was a shock to me watching the previous episode uh, waiting for god where he's he's clearly not supposed to be mm. being cool is anathema to the teachings of cloister right so like yeah yeah i thought dave lister was insanely cool and the squalor was about oh i don't care if i've got stuff on me it's fine i'm still alive yeah and... if you're a young teen that's rebellious isn't it that's what you aspire to to not have to care about what you look like and all of that yeah yeah no 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 exactly it's it's the nonchalance uh, aspect of it he wears leather jackets and a cool hat with like badges mm. and stuff on it he's he, <laughs> Basically, if he'd been at school, he'd been one of those guys with the tipex written all over his yes, rucksack and 100%. all of that. That's yeah. that's kind of what he was. That's sort of, and I think, in a weird way, it influenced that kind of behaviour of wanting patches on your bag and patches on your coat and all of that sort of stuff. I, it, it, he did, and and the dreadlocks, the hair, he looked cool. Mm. If they weren't going for that, they should have maybe made him a little bit more. Ugly, because Craig Charles is a handsome chap. Oh yeah, they kept on doing. They met, like throughout. They make jokes about him being fat. He was not a fat dude. No, slobby kind of equates to like indolent, right? Yeah, but not necessarily fat. That was a, that's a weird, yeah. But then I guess Rimmer's Rimmer's stick thin. And insectile in that limmy kind of way. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. But it's that no. The thing is, though, Rimmer had that awful like the the hairdo. I mean, Lister was this cool Liverpudlian dude, wore a leather jacket, and like he was, and drank beer and ate vindaloo, and like there was just this element of like, oh, he's cool. Mm. Yes, yeah, slobby, but it was as as I said, it's like this, like 
no care attitude that just made you go, yeah, I'd, I'd love to be like that. I'd love to be that oblivious to the world and just be in my own sort of head like he is. He, he is a humanist, right? He still prizes people, just not mm. stuff, which is amazing. Yeah. But Rimmer, I'd say, to get back to that bottom comparison you were making, yeah. Rimmer is self-loathing. Mm-hmm. Richie is self-loathing. Yeah. Um, and I believe that 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 self-loathing streak runs through a lot of sitcom leads, yeah. especially British sitcom leads. Yeah. Rimmer's self-loathing seems more profound to me than anyone else's. Richie's is about, oh, I, I can't shag anyone. No one wants to shag me. Whereas Rimmer's is so fundamental and spiritual. Well, Rimmer knows. Rimmer knows. Like, he knows that he's an arsehole, but he can't help but be an arsehole. Mm. Richard, I think, in bottom, like, he, he doesn't really realise he's an arsehole. He's a bit like, but why doesn't anyone love me? Whereas right. Rimmer's kind of like, oh, I know exactly why people don't love me. I mean, I'll still try and make them love me, but I know exactly why. It's, it's especially in those episodes of, like, the, the Better Than Life uh, episode. Like, he knows. He is the author of his own, like, defeat every single time. His parents were terrible from everything that he seems to say. His siblings were terrible from everything that he said. His teachers all ha- like <laughs> no one liked him. And that's just it's it's kind of that horrible thing of just if someone had shown him some authentic love, maybe he'd be different, but no one did. Not a single person in his childhood <laughs> did. No one believed in him. So therefore he never believes in himself. That Better Than Life episode is, is really apposite to bring up there as well. That's an extraordinary depth that I think would be bleakly depressing, frankly, to watch out of context of, yeah. of, of an understanding that he's to be laughed at in any way. Like, jeez. And then there's the scene where he, 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 he sees his father and his fa- he thinks his father's just going to say, like, I just wanted to tell you I'm proud of you or something like that. But in the end, he says, I'd want to tell you you're a total smeghead. And he's like, this isn't my fantasy. And Kat comes in and goes, no, it's mine. And it's like, even the people he's with now, like no one will let him have an, a, a semblance of happiness. It's just yeah, yeah. Awful. Even the cat, even the cat wants to do that, wants to use his time in a fantasy fulfilling game to, yeah. to ruin Rimmer's time in it. Yeah. That's how much they, oh, wow. That's the first domino to fall that makes the whole episode fall apart. That's probably what it is. Oh my gosh, that was all his cat. Cat is responsible. Yeah. Well, this is the thing to do now that we're watching it again yeah. at the age we are, where we can kind of appreciate this stuff a little more. Like the actual manipulations, the actual way the characters change and are informed and reinformed and revised by spending 10, 12, 25 years yeah. with each other. Do you have a particular era that you have as a favourite? Like, yeah, well, like looking looking back on it, I mean, when, when you rewatch it and everything, I think you will always find your favourite episodes will be in seasons three, four and five and maybe a bit of six. Obviously, the, the backwards episode is is iconic. And that's a season one episode. Like, that is it's such a strong opener and a great introduction to, like, Crichton as we now know him. Mm. That, that, that era, three and four, like, were the start of some re- recurring jokes and characters that were just so good. Yeah. So, yeah. so good. I haven't... There's another uh, aspect of love for Red Dwarf that I particularly have as well that I'll mention. When I was doing the Edinburgh Fringe in 2013... I was in a flat and I shared that flat for two weeks with Norman Lovett. Oh, oh my wow. gosh. That's incredible. How was he? He was amazing. Yeah, of course. Such a nice man. And for the fact that at one point uh, he placed a bet on me and my friend Ivan, he placed a bet. He was just like, there was some Star Wars boxer shorts 
uh, on the clothes rail and we, we, we've got a bet as to whether it's your pair or Ivan's pair. And I was like, well, who do you think it is? He says, I think it's Ivan. I'm like, Norman, you just lost a bet. They're mine. <laughs> so it's just like, but the fact that it's just like, I'm having a conversation with Holly about my Star Wars underwear. This is such a strange feeling for me. <laughs> Worlds colliding. Yeah. And occasionally he would throw in just like, oh, there was this time when we were recording an episode of Red Dwarf. And he would just voluntarily, he didn't have to oh, ask good. him I stuff. I was about to ask, like, did you have to shoehorn it into No, he, he would throw, he would just go, oh, there was this one time this and one time that. And it's just like, this is so cool. He must know. He must yeah. know that's what. Of course what he does. You'd, you'd, you'd laugh he's it up, right? seen those underpants. Come on. Exactly. Yeah. If, he, if you're sharing a flat yeah. with someone who's got Star Wars underwear, they're going to want to talk to you about Red Dwarf. Like they, they really are. <laughs> that's, they really that's a given. are. That's a given. So that is like that was one of those like oh if I could tell teenage me what was going to happen. <laughs> Like, even though it's just like, you're going to do a show and no one's going to go to it, but so worth it. But you will get to share a flat and eat breakfast every morning for two weeks with Holly. It's going to be great. That's an amazing. Oh, that's an, I'm green with envy. That's so cool. It was really cool. Like the thing that I find like in modern time that is, is, is how much Red Dwarf influenced, I think must have influenced things like Futurama. Because it's so Futurama when you watch it back. Uh, I'm certain of it. I'm certain of it. Things like in this episode, um, like when, when Rimmer's like, can you brush my teeth now, Holly? And he's standing there doing all of this. Oh, it's like, oh, can you Chris shave? Barry's like, amazing. And, and he's this. doing, the, can you shave? And then he's doing the mm. exercise routine and all of that. Acrobics. Yeah, uh, yeah and, 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 and all of that is like, that's just kind of like Bender type jokes in Futurama. It's like robot jokes, but hologram jokes. It's yeah. like, how do we, and I, I just, I watch it and I'm like, Futurama owes a lot to this when I watch Fry it. Is a, Fry is a kind of wide-eyed uh, humanist. He's, he's dumber than Lester, but still. Well, the, co the concept is the same. Main character gets frozen for a long time and then wakes up in the future. Oh my gosh. It's the same concept. You're, you're Get out of my head. <laughs> Futurama has aliens. That's that's the that's the key difference. So many aliens. So, they, they just don't live with the aliens. That's the thing in, in, in Red Wolf. They live with each other. They visit aliens now and then. We could get into a debate about whether or not they're aliens or, or genetically en engineered life forms made by... Let's not do that. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. Okay, 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 okay. It's time. <laughs> it's time we moved on. Before we talk about the episode specifically, Confidence and Paranoia, mm -hmm. I just got one question. Were we to commit the sacrilegious act of recasting mm. the show for a modern age reboot. Who's who's playing your main guys or gals? So I have some people here. Now, weirdly, funnily enough, the people that I have uh, for um, for Rimmer and Crichton, I think could be swapped. Interesting. So I'll, I'll go with, I'll, I'll just say Rimmer for the moment. So for Rimmer, and I think it's kind of an obvious choice. You may get this a lot if you're asking this question on every episode. Richard Ayoade as Rimmer. I think would be superb, but I think less so because of like the character he played in IT crowd. It could be m more aggressive like Chris Barry, mm. like he is when he's being interviewed, that kind of like aggressive nerd, <laughs> that aggressive stuffiness, sure, right. I think would work really well. So I think Richard Awade for Rimmer would be spot on. He's been mentioned for Crichton, but not Rimmer. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Um, now, do you know who Alfred Enoch is? Yeah. Yeah. I know he, w he was in Harry Potter, right? Yes. I think him for Lister. Oh, you're really going like, kind of, there's a bit of looks casting there. A, a bit of looks, but also, he, like, I, I like the idea of getting like an actor-actor mm. rather than comedic actor mm. to play that part. Because I do think 
he should have some charm. <laughs> I was looking at lots of different comedians and none of them really, no, no one screamed Lister at me apart from one, but he's too old. I oh, know. And the one that I think would, be, would have been good when he was younger would have been Mickey Flanagan. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Because yeah, okay. because of just the yeah you know he's a bit of a you know he's a lad yeah he's a lad but he's I think he's too old for now um, so I was that's why I was going like Alfred Enoch for for sort of looks but actually good actor okay so cat cat yeah for cat someone I've gigged with many many times and is a wonderful person and I'd actually uh, it was Reuben K Australian comic but who who's sort of like an Australian Julian Clary. Uh, kind of thing always wants to look fabulous always does look fabulous <laughs> but I like the idea of if they made Cat completely sort of like non-binary mm. and yeah, essentially yeah. made Cat a little bit like the Jack uh, Harkness character from Doctor Who so it wasn't just women he was after he just wanted everyone yeah just mm. absolutely everyone just 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 make them just make everyone uh, a sexual conquest do you know what something's never occurred to me that Cat's disgust of human men mm. clearly doesn't I mean, it's odd that he's attracted to human women in, in, in yeah. a way. So it makes yeah. sense for him just to be perma pan horny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then finally, and this is why I was like, this could work for Rimmer or for Crichton. And I'm actually doing a gender swap. I'm going to make Crichton a woman. So it could be a female droid. Or if you made Rimmer a woman as well, that could kind of work, I think, too. Ellie Taylor would be amazing. Oh, that's that's a lovely oh. choice. Have, having watched her in like things like Ted Lasso and seeing like that sassy mm. sort of thing, like as Crichton, that would work. As Rimmer, that would work. As her being a sort of stuffy asshole, <laughs> that would really work. Like she can do wow. that really, really well. So I think, yeah, Ellie Taylor is Crichton, Alfred Enoch is Lister, Ruben Kay is Cat, and Richard Aowade is Rimmer. What a lineup. Really interesting. Cast. That's brilliant. Yeah. Do you have anyone in mind for Holly at all? Do you know what? I mean, he's probably too old now, but Arthur Smith, I mean, it would be a good callback for the mm. fact that he was in the backwards episode. Yeah. You can find his backwards spiel played backwards on YouTube so you can find out what he actually said. No, here's the thing. So I know Arthur. So the same year I was living with uh, with with uh, Norman Lovett, I was working on Arthur Smith show and I got to know him a little bit. He's a lovely, lovely man. But he 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 still to this day knows how to speak backwards. What? Like he knows. So uh, I did this gig once. Uh, I used to run this night called the Distraction Club uh, in London and Arthur was on. And what we did, he he sung Jingle Bells backwards. So we recorded, he, he sang Jingle Bells fully, like, yep, 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 like he was doing all of that backwards. We recorded it and then I played it back to the audience and it was Jingle Bells, Jingle Bells, Jingle all the way. And it was like, this is madness. I'm going to hand over for a little more of a specific deep dive. Scene by scene, line by line. Right? Scene by scene. Here we go. Mm. Not, not, this not podcast right. is seven hours long, people. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's a lot Almost. to say about the show. <laughs> John, tell us about this one. Yeah. So confidence and paranoia. Lister visited the officer's deck before it was decontaminated to look for Kachansky's hologram disc. He didn't find it. As the episode begins, he's wallowing in front of a rom trage tragic romance movie, drinking what may well be his own invention, the beer milkshake. 
That night, Lister wakes up with a fever. He's contracted pneumonia from the deserted officer's deck. For any listeners who recently lived through a global pandemic of a respiratory virus, please ignore the science. But who knows how pneumonia might have mutated over three million years? Grant Naylor know because they wrote this episode. Now Lister's confidence and paranoia have come to life. Confidence, a brash American with a sense of sartorial style that puts cat in the shade. Paranoia, a depressive little worm of a man who... Oh, is that a urine stain? Moving on. Rimmer warns of the danger and advises Lister he needs to get better, but confidence easily wins the battle for Lister's affections. To make things even easier, he secretly smashes up some medical kit and feeds paranoia to the waste grinder. Confidence persuades Lister to head outside to find Kachansky's hologram disc, which they believe Rimmer has hidden. Confidence is brought down by his own confidence when he removes his helmet because he's really confident. Almost Sophoclean levels of hubris, proving that Grant Naylor deserved their place in the Pantheon alongside the Athenian forefathers of dramatic art. But not even Aeschylus could have come up with this closing twist. Lister persuades Holly to power down non-essential systems to bring Kachansky's hologram on stream, yay, only to discover Rema swapped the discs around and there are now two of the smeghead. Now, <laughs> brother. I, yes, Aeschylus, why not? Matt Blair, what do you think of this episode? I actually really like it. It's pure Star Trek. It is. It's the Naked Now, which is like a very classic uh, episode of, of 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 Star Trek where they, they all get sort of intoxicated. Is that original series? That's original series, yeah. They, they, did, they remade the episode in Next Generation and called it The Naked Time. Um, I think I've got that correct. I may have got it switched around the wrong way. It doesn't matter. But it's that concept of uh, an, an, an illness taking over in such a way. Interesting, as you said, ignore the science because it, like he catches it uh, from going into the deck. Cat doesn't catch it when he d- steals the blanket from Lister and all mm. of that. Cat doesn't catch But at the same time, he's not human. So, pff, you know, that's the science. I, I, I think it's a very good episode. I don't think it's the strongest episode uh, of, of the series. But I think um, its sci-fi concepts are like everything about it tracks. Yeah, if that makes sense. Everything like Lister's motivation, Rimmer's motivation, Cat's in his own world, so that's fine. Um, and and Holly is just kind of that sort of oblivious. You know, everything about it is it's very Red Dwarf. To me, it's what you said earlier about like it's not like filler episodes. Then they probably like why are there two rumors? And I went, oh well, this can be an episode in itself. So they ended up squeezing like getting two episodes out of one concept. Well, interesting trivia for you. This was originally the final episode of the series, and it was going to close as originally scripted with uh, Lister's plan working. So he would persuade Holly to power down on essential systems and. Kachansky's hologram would come back and that was going to be the sort of the cliffhanger, cliffhanger ending yeah. for season two. Uh, but I think there was, uh, I think it was a BBC electrician strike or something like that meant that um, oh. Grant and Naylor were kicking around. They they were just given some unexpected time to, to reflect on what they'd done <laughs> and think about it. And they realised that it would actually be much better if they repurposed uh, another episode and had two rumours. So hence everything got kind of jiggled around. That poor actress probably had other work like coming up and then yeah. like... And then in the end, she gets recast. Yeah. <laughs> Cast Chris Barry twice. Why not? It's the age-old story. <laughs> oh, that's, wow. It blew up their gender pay gap. It, it wasn't a very popular episode with the early fandom either. It was uh, There was a poll in the Red Dwarfs magazine, and this ranked very low with those fans back in the day. That's not to say they didn't like it, but they just preferred almost everything else. <laughs> it's not a bad episode. It's just not one of the best. It's not one that you instantly go, oh, I know what episode I'm going to watch. I'm going to watch Confidence and Paranoia. Yeah. Unless you're a diehard Craig Ferguson fan. Well, exactly, yeah. Which I'm sure there are many. I've got Lee Corns tattooed on my shin. <laughs> <laughs> 
maybe maybe an overall thing about this episode is how much they have to condense the actual cool story bit. Yeah, massively. The actual bit with confidence and paranoia being around. It's like seven minutes there, in it. I'm fascinated by structure of these things, and you've only got 29 minutes to tell the story, right? The first three minutes is that scene with Lister trying to watch the film and Holly banter and you know, yes. Holly talking about yeah. Agatha Christie. That's... I'm fine with that. I love that scene. Yeah, it's great. But it does mean the rest of it's kind of truncated, right? The early stuff of Red Dwarf is very much sketches stitched together with a light story. Yeah. That, 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 I mean, but that's also what made, I think, Red Dwarf 10 very good because that's how Red, Red Dwarf 10 felt those episodes I watched. It felt like lots of sketches put together. And that, that's why I think I was just like, oh, okay, it is back. It is that sort of thing. Mm. Um, when they started to make it more story-based is when it started losing its charm. Okay. Um, I, uh, that might just be me. I don't know. Well, yeah, I think I think Grant and Ailey used to sort of act out the scenes as they were writing, so they'd play Rimmer and Lister. And I guess that's why you have a lot of these season one episodes. They'll have their concept, but they won't actually get to the concept until halfway through that's that's a bit of a feature of this series i mean it's kind of like the simpsons though it's kind of like that's that is a lot of how the simpsons would do mm. things yeah, yeah, where, where 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 there'd be one thing that sets something off but you actually don't get to the real story until about a minute before commercials and then and then that's when the real episode begins yeah because that's that's what it is it's it's this long setup to Lister getting ill and it's not until later that it's like oh your illness created these two people but it takes ages to get to Lister getting ill oh yeah it's a it's minute again it's eight minutes and 45 seconds um until that scene where he collapses in the corridor the reason I have that time code written down by the way fans of continuity fun Craig Charles clearly doesn't know he's on camera for the shot where Kat comes in saying s-e-x I think I found it because uh, whatever Dave Lister is hallucinating at that point gives him a big old grin in that moment. You'd almost, <laughs> you'd almost call it corpsing if you were being cynical. I, I I love seeing stuff like that. Like there's there's also like the the, the shoddiness of it. Like when Rimmer is um, like when the, him him and Paranoia are having a little bit of banter, and there's there's this moment of where he's going, oh look at him, he's just like conversing with a figment of his imagination, and the way they edited it, they didn't really hang on Rimmer reacting to the, like realizing he was doing the same thing. And it's as he fades out, he pulls the face and it fades out. And it's like, they don't hang on that joke, obviously mm. probably cut for time, but they don't hang on that joke long enough for it to land properly. They kind of cut off the punchline halfway through. And, but it's like, it was made in like the eighties, like it, they were on a budget and, uh, they, they, it's series one so there's probably just not that air of confidence like maybe this isn't as good a joke as we think so this is a joke we'll cut but we'll keep this other stuff yeah could be, yeah could well be. because we were talking before about how confident their editing is in other places when mm. there's a trick shot yeah like the exploding mayor or you know they're, they're yeah. pretty convincing oh, that stuff love they, that yeah they stand up really well for late 80s bbc special effects oh yeah no when 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 confidence dies like that's a brilliant special effect for an 80s tv show sitcom yeah yeah like it's really good it's like the beginning of scanners it's amazing yeah (laughs) it's funny i had a really vivid memory of it because i've not watched this episode in at least 20 or 20 years and i've got my my childhood memory of it is that his face became absolutely like ginormous yeah your imagination takes over yeah that's what's that called the mandala effect 
There is that scene where Yafit Koto blows up in... Uh... <laughs> that's pretty much, yes. Yes, that's pretty <laughs> much that, what I was visualising, yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, what is that film? James Bond. And yeah, that, that's and that, right. That, it's... That, the voodoo one. Yeah, Live and Let Die. Live and Let Die. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Can we talk about Kat in this episode? Just, just briefly, chicken marengo, some, some yet more lovely Danny John Jules playing that that those that psychopathy of the cat. He's he's not really he's he's inconsequential to the episode. Absolutely, like but I yeah. still love the stuff he's doing peripherally. Like it's still good yeah. stuff, right? He sells it all beautifully. Yeah, he's he's really underwritten in this, but he just everything is just pitch perfect. No, but that's that's the back and forth thing when he comes in and says, "I got your grapes." And he's eating the grapes. I got you an orange, and he's eating the orange. And then he's just like, "Well, I'm so generous. I'm going to go and lie down." And he goes and lies down. And then he's just and and then Rimmer comes in. And he's talking to Lister, but Cat's the one giving all the responses. Yeah. And it's just really wonderful. Again, very British humor. Of like, he's asking the question. Cat answers, even though it's not him. But the answers are perfect responses yeah and then he's just like fine i'm gonna leave and he turns to listen how do you feel and cat goes hurt and yeah. Like, yeah. yeah it's, lovely, <laughs> it's just lovely bit of what writing but it's it yeah it's just wonderful writing the de- performance delivery everything about it is just like boom 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 okay let's get to the story because that was just a that was a sketch that was a sketch now we'll get to the story it's just so and he performs it so well that's really interesting thinking about them as sketches you could think that way about the, the 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 mess hall scene as well, where Rimmer comes in asking for cats. Yeah, when, when, he's, when he's trying scene. to eat the chicken, but he's also like throwing it, pretending it's running away, and he's got to catch it. Yeah, and and it's a sketch. It's just the rhythm of it. I mean, that's what Cat is. He's just like the the way he performs and the way he um, his personality is very rhythm based. You yeah. know, he's a funky mm. guy and yeah. all of that. You know, the way he moves is important to him. But it does. It comes across in the comedy performance as well because there's just this rhythm that just works. The beats are in the right places. Everything is just perfect. With like Danny John Jules is a great physical and vocal mm. performer. Like it's just yeah. great. It's an extraordinary performance. Chris Barry helped sell that that scene as well. I think yeah. with yeah. The, the 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 escalating disbelief each time he has to come back in. I love the rhythm of their of their writing as well. Like it, Red Dwarf is full of little comedy earworms. I think is how I would mm-hmm. how I would probably describe hole. it. Exactly. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so many things that you just pick up and like two slow chicken merengue was just a thing 
that was said constantly in my house growing up. And also, I think this episode was the first time of like, but it, instead of fishy, it was I'm gonna eat you little chicken. Yeah, it, like that's that song. Mm. Yeah. There's a lot of firsts in this episode because I think as well, um, this is the first episode to mention Yvonne Magruder. Yes, it is. Yes, yeah. Who comes back in Best Than Life, doesn't she? And but doesn't look anything like he describes in this episode. Like she's like got a wonky eye or something, and like that's why she went with you because she can't see or any of that sort of stuff. Because she got hit over the head with a welding mallet, wasn't it? Was yes, that, that's that it. Really, I mean, that's awful. <laughs> And then he lies down later on in the episode and goes, ah, Miss Magruder, where were we? Having just ha- Clearly just having had a dream about his mum. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's, that's, that's not true. right. That's true, yes. Of that, none of that is okay, really. Mm, no, it's not. Wow. I never actually clocked that. Yeah, yeah, no, that's absolutely right. <laughs> so while I was annoyed with continuity, they do come back to jokes that they do mention. Yeah. So like when they bring back Magruder, they do they do keep the name the same mm. as this, and you can go back and watch it if you like the prequels way of doing things like <laughs> I did. It makes sense. It does make canonic sense. Imagine Matt, if you will, that you're unfamiliar with the show and you're uh, you're browsing for something hilarious to watch. Sure. So you you flick into the uh, the comedy section of the BBC iPlayer, and you go, oh. That looks like a sci-fi comedy. I like sci-fi and I like comedy. This might be just up my alley. So you're trying to figure out which episode to watch. Confidence of Paranoia. Oh, interesting title. Mm. This is how BBC iPlayer sells it to you. Okay. <laughs> Lister contracts a mutated form of pneumonia and his hallucinations turn solid. Fancy giving that a watch? Did Rimmer, did Rimmer, that- did Rimmer write it? That's exactly, <laughs> that's how Rimmer describes it. So it's like, so that's... Yeah, solid. I, I, no, but I kind of like that, only because I know the episode. But I like the fact that they actually just describe it like Rimmer describes it. That's that's brilliant. Although if you were trying to sell it to someone else to watch... No, that's not how it's described. Those are the last words you would use. It's, it's, it's not a thing. It's, not a th- it's like, is there someone at home going, darling, darling, have you ever seen Red Dwarf? No, it's a sci-fi sitcom. All oh, right, yeah. There's an episode here where where someone's hallucinations turn solid. <laughs> right, put it on. I love comedies where hallucinations turn solid. That's brilliant. In fact, anything that turns solid. But count me that in. is also probably how an episode of Star Trek would be written on iPlayer. That is, <laughs> it probably is actually, yeah. That is the, like the original series or even the animated series. That's how it would. That's how it would be described. I don't know how I would describe this episode. Uh, I mean, even just like, just, is it funny to just describe the episode as Lister contracts a three million year evolved version of pneumonia? Like That straight away is more interesting, yeah. I'd say, than, than <laughs> someone's hallucinations turning solid. Can we also talk about, though, um, how another thing that this episode, and you might think, what? But at the same time, you may agree that this episode did involve a large quantity of animal cruelty. They were dead. If we talk about the fish, they were they were dead when they came into the one studio. One fish was not. There was one oh, no. fish that was filmed that was flapping around and very alive to, to, to how, for however long it was being filmed. There was one live fish for one shot. Ed By and Paul Jackson, the director and the producer, had a, a momentary disagreement between them. Ed By was shooting the fish flailing around on the ground. Yeah. Uh, saying, oh, I think we need to get a bit more. And Paul Jackson, usually quite a hard nut yeah. uh, producer, was the guy who went, no, no, he's had enough, and like ran in and put the fish in a bucket. 
amazing. Well, okay, okay. But uh, that wouldn't happen now. There'd be animatronic CG or anything like that. But that was a real fish flailing about on the floor. It's like the, the rat scene in the abyss. It's like, whoa, 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 okay. Oh, yeah. you're, this is happening. Yeah. That is a fish. I was just uh, kind of taking the piss. I don't really see it as big animal cruelty. It, I, 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 I was doing a bit. Oh, I see. I'm very naive. I'm, I'm genuinely one of those naive people who will who will hear something like that and actually be a bit tedious about it. I loved that you already had like a response to it already lined up. That's great. Like, no, no, no. It didn't really happen like that. It's it was... fine. It's fine. It's fine. I, just for any animal lovers out there, it's fine. No fit. One fish was harmed. Oh, amazing. Amazing. Me. Well, we learned in this episode that love, according to Lister, is what separates us from animals. He is a big softie in this episode. He is. Yes, no, because he? he cries like openly yeah. to movies. Long before Tom Hardy did it in an advert for Kleenex. But <laughs> he, openly weeping, drooling even. Like the beer milkshake was spilling over him and all of that. Like, and But that was really, that, that was different for its time, for the 80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, men being very open, like openly crying, just watching a film. Um, but yeah, no, yeah. you're right. He is a big softie. And the whole thing is about him like having some regret not asking Kachansky out. And yeah. it's 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 about him taking the leap to actually do it as well, though it doesn't work out for him at the end. But he 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 takes the leap. He, he's just like, you know what? I'm going to do it. Like my confidence and paranoia have both died technically. So like, but I'm still gonna do this. I'm still gonna do it. And uh, yeah, no, no, you're, you're you're absolutely right. He is a softy. Yeah, it's quite a vulnerable performance. I love the way that Craig plays uh, the fever. Like his his ill. He really, you know, coming back to the whole is he is he meant to be cool or not? He does proper man flu stuff. I mean, he's a real. He's really kind of back to childhood. The way he gets out of bed and just kind of don't feel well. I think, yeah. I think it's really really nice and interesting how he plays that. Yeah. When he's on his own in the corridor and he has to say, I don't feel well, mm. and then collapse, that's that yeah. is a tough gig for an actor, right? It is. Yeah. Oof. And the makeup sells it, like the sweatiness and all of that. It all, it's, yes. it's, it's, it's all like very believable. Like you're, you're at yeah. no point you're just like, well, this is a sitcom. No, you, you are like into it. Um, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. the very Marx Brothers humour with the scutters. Um, yes. You know, poking him in the eye with the mm, thermometer, yes. and, and, yeah, and all yeah they are like the Three Stooges, aren't they? Yeah. Those three scutters. Oh, is this the first time we've seen the scutters kind of properly engaged with activities as well? They're kind of floating about the place. They've, they've they? had their nice "Don't leave us with Rimmer" gag and the beating their little robotic heads against the wall, and then they've been in the cinema, haven't they? But yes. It, this yeah. is yeah, yeah. this is where they really get to cut loose with uh, proper inter- yeah, yeah. interaction. That's nice, and that ends with some extremely eighties BBC special effects there with the sped the blatantly sped up uh, the very it's very Benny Hill yeah 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 yeah. but they also do it the other way around like when they're in space they do slow down bits when he jumps around the banister when he jumps around the railing they do they slow it down and Mm. then he lands and then it's back to normal speed but it's very well done but again it's an 80s sitcom made in England like how knowing it was coming this time the sped up wheelchair bit I was watching Chris Barry yeah. knowing that his reaction would be sped up. And sure enough, Chris Barry's a consummate pro. He plays it and it looks completely natural. And he stays completely still and it works. It, it fully works. It's brilliant. Yeah. There's some uniquely Red Dwarf world building in this episode, isn't there? I just wanted to mention Necrobics, the Love Celibacy Society. Oh, the yes. love, that's very ahead of its time, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Love celibates. Well, well, it's incels, well, isn't it? It feels, it feels quite, yes, exactly. It feels quite 2023. Love is a sickness that holds back your career and makes you want to spend all your money. Um, <laughs> amazing. 
and and a bit of invasive technology with the dream recorder. How do we all feel about that? It does make you think. Like, what what was the purpose of that? Like, what was the higher purpose? How was what? Know. Why is does the ship have that technology? Yeah, psychiatrically, like the, the 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 therapists on board probably needed it because they are traveling in deep space for a long, long time. They're, they're going to need like full details on because if someone goes nuts they need to know why to make sure no one else goes nuts and they need to know the warning signs and maybe i'm reading too much into this myself but that fits with the pattern of of holly stating that his prime directive is to keep lister sane yes Yes, that's that's true true. that's very true that's that's yeah holly's that's why holly is brought back rimmer so that he doesn't go back and go insane yeah yeah uh another thing I, i i'd written down when i watched the episode i was like if i'd never read murder on the orient express I'd be very annoyed with Red Wolf. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, he does give spoiler. a massive spoiler for that book. It does sound like nonsense. It sounds like a joke. It does. But it is but literally it, the plot. It is literally. <laughs> I think they all did it. He's very clever. <laughs> of course yeah. he's going to know. <laughs> does anyone know what the Doctor Who connection is? It's a real, it is a doozy. Ooh. Uh, I'm thinking Craig Ferguson, Lee Corns, whether either of them in Doctor Who. It's not by any chance Paranoia's costume is an old Doctor Who costume from the William Hartnell era. (laughs) (laughs) No, although that is plausible. So it is to do with Craig Ferguson. So Craig Ferguson used to be a drummer in a punk band. And this I love this. They were first called the Bastards from Hell. Okay. And then they renamed themselves the Dream Boys. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Yeah, it's it's quite a switch. The lead vocalist... (laughs) Of the Dream Boys was one Peter Capaldi. Ah, okay, nice. And it was apparently Peter Capaldi who who persuaded Craig Ferguson to try stand up. Really? Holy smokes! There we go. Which presumably led him to well to this. <laughs> he was a he was a bigger man in this episode, wasn't he, Craig Ferguson? He was, he was yeah. yeah, in every sense. He looked like young Trump. That's, <laughs> that, that is, and I mean that's before even I think even Trump then didn't look quite that bad. The costume is outstanding. Oh, his teeth are phenomenal, but the costume is yeah. amazing. I, I love Confidence's costume. It's yeah. so well. It's again, it's loud. It's, the it's, it's, it's it's abrasive. It's it's like it's ah, it's in your face. It's confidence. I read that Craig Ferguson and Lee Corns also auditioned for Lister and Rimmer, respectively. Did they? Yeah, makes sense. They're not actors. You know, it's kind of carrying on that tradition that we've seen with previous episodes, where they've rather than casting actors or even comedic actors, they've just brought in some guys who've gigged with other guys off the stand-up circuit. Yeah. Yeah, using the, the personas they've already developed on the alternative comedy scene. We've got to talk about Lee Corns, because he deserves a mention. We can't possibly not talk about Lee Corns and talk about this episode. Yeah, I, I didn't really recognise him from anything else. He has a familiar face, but I looked him up and I was just like, I don't think I know him from anything else. He's only ever had the, the, the similar-sized part to Paranoia, really, hasn't he? Yeah. And, and he he's he only has maybe what like three or four lines in the whole thing, and then is killed off on off screen. <laughs> he is murdered yeah. off screen. It's like flipping Game of Thrones around here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, he was in. He was in. We were talking about just before. What was it, Johnny? He was in all of Blackadder. He was in se- se- several series of it. Yeah. Ed also said he was the physics teacher in Grange Hill. Oh wow. Okay. Right. Yeah. Amazing. And I remember him from the young ones. Definitely. That's probably where I recognise him from. Matt. Have you got a favourite moment or line from this episode? I think my favourite moment is the scene with Cat where he brings the grapes, it's not the grapes, and then it's and then he thinks it's the orange and it's not the orange, and then he lies down and then he asks him, it's just that delivery at the end. It was like, how do you feel? Hurt. It's yeah. just something about 
it's just a, one of the it's the best written scene in the whole episode and it just really like it's not even really about the whole episode and that just for me is just that that delivery is just so good yeah it's great it just pips for me it just pips the agatha christie gag which is similarly really just chef's kiss writing but yeah matt thank you oh bless you thank you it's been it's been really fun talking about it and like getting into the nitty-gritty i like it thank you that's cool thank you so much where can people find you if they just simply cannot get enough matt blair uh well they can they can find me on twitch uh matt blair uk is my twitch handle uh i do i do games i do music i do trivia uh i i i'm just generally uh a bit of an idiot um and i i run a comedy night in chiswick the old pack horse uh the oph comedy night and uh, it's the last thursday of every month uh so so do make sure you can get to that i'm 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 just search matt blair and look for the guy that looks like me (laughs) matt blair what a guy what a guy that was amazing he gave us a lot of time there i think like yeah. Good luck getting that down to an hour, Alex. There was a mm-hmm. lot going on. It's all gold as well. It really is. It really is. Tough choices. Do you know what? Hopefully this will be the last time I say this because it's kind of the point of the podcast, but getting all these different opinions, it's awesome. The fact that all five of our guests have had something very different to say about the show. Yeah. It's almost like a conversation's happening between them. Do you know what I mean? Like Sue's in episode three talking about how amazing the cat is, immediately followed by Paul, who felt the cat was underwritten in yes. those early series. You know, they should all get in a car park and have a fight at the end of the whole thing and see who's right. Well, maybe we need more of an audio... What's an audio version of a fight that would work on a podcast? A rap battle. A rap battle. Okay, right. Let's email everyone. Alex, is that all right? You won't, you, you, you've you got no problem emailing everyone inviting us to a rap battle, right? Sure. That's not burning your uh, credibility in the industry at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you know what? It's not just the guests that are having opinions. We have... Friends of the show now, by which I mean friends on social media. So um, actually coming back to what you were just saying about Paul and Sue's having different views of the cat, Richard on Facebook has commented, thank you Richard, to say he respectfully disagrees uh, with Paul's view of the cat. So Paul, if you recall, uh, reckons that cat is is behaving like a psychopath, Uh, whereas Richard's take on it is that his complete disinterest in the old man dying is still the funniest bit of the ep. He is a cat, says Richard. We don't need to paint a human psychological character profile onto him. I love this. Ouch. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah. No, it's not. I don't think it's about that. I think, like you say, it's gr- it's it's awesome to hear all the different opinions. You know, me coming back to the show for the first time in several decades, I was looking forward to reminding myself what I loved about it, but I'm loving hearing also what other people love about it because it's yeah. making me see it in different ways. That's, that's, that's what it's about. We're not trying to, you know, establish the facts. We weren't there. We don't work on the show. <laughs> We're lovers, not experts. Exactly. Yeah. It's 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 about people's passions. What do people love about it? And that's inherently personal, right? Do you think a, a comedians, by the nature of their jobs, tend to frame opinions quite vociferously? Yeah. It can be hard to disagree in the heat of the moment. That's absolutely true. Yes. I mean, I've definitely caught myself listening back to these, saying, yeah, to a point that I, in hearing it again outside of the conversation, go, hmm. I mean, maybe. <laughs> so we should get more of these, right? We should get more opinions, please. If you if you have agreements, disagreements, tidbits, send them in. Better than life pod at gmail.com. Email us, get in touch on socials. We want to hear from you. 
at its BTL pod on Instagram, on Twitter, X, on Facebook, all those good places. Lovely. Actually, can I can I bring one up? A, 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 a lovely listener, Shelley, has got in touch. Uh, <laughs> do you remember last week I mentioned that I felt like a modo? Yes, and we had the whole swearing conversation, all the made-up swears. Shelley got in touch to say, just listened to the latest ep and wondered if you knew that modo is apparently proto-Slavic for testicle. That's fantastic. So that's what I was feeling last week. And presumably that's what Rimmer intended to call the captain and the cat when uh, when he called them a modo. It's not a... <laughs> he's, he's studying proto-Slavic yeah, apparently. absolutely. Or knows it already. Let's wrap up confidence and paranoia. I had a couple of little things I wanted to mention. Go for it. First of all, just as a little aside, we get another alien reference. Ah, we do. In this episode. We got one last week. Yeah. Uh, with the face hugger impression this week. In Confidence and Paranoia, we got In Space No One Can Hear You, Cha-Cha-Cha. So, there's a bunch of things that could be going on here. Is Doug Naylor or Rob Grant, I think it's Doug Naylor, because I think it carries on after Rob Grant's involvement in the show. I'm sure I've seen it in episodes, uh, series seven or eight, a uh, reference to Alien. But anyway, is it them having a joke about the fact that aliens don't exist in this universe? So they keep referencing the one film that really does kind of right. rely on you know, the existence of aliens. Or is it simply that they love the film and want to hom- homage it, homage it? Or is it simply that the alien saga the series of films exists in this universe and so people have seen it i like that but why would they be referencing it alien the film came out like nine years before series Mm. one right eight or nine years before series one of red dwarf so it's not zeitgeisty it would have been considered seminal quite quickly i reckon right it was it was a it was not i don't want to say it was a game changer for the genre but it was doing stuff in motion picture sci-fi that hadn't been done before right it was a it was a different take very scary. I'd say the fact that Star Wars came out two years before Alien was quite a significant significant thing. Star Wars is is a used mm. universe. Things do look a bit run down in episode four to six, but there's a very clear definition of good and evil. There are alien races. There are lots of different planetary races. Some have bums for faces. But I think the key thing overall is actually that in Alien, these guys are space truckers, right? I think Guy said that even yeah, in episode yeah. one. But but it's a used universe. It is run down. It's supposed to look shoddy. This is what a spaceship would look like if it had gone to Jupiter and back. Or, or indeed three million years across the galaxy. Things ain't going to look pretty. Things are going to be utilitarian and grey. And maybe that's the link. Maybe that's the, that's why they're homaging Alien. Or it could just be that it's, it's living in their head and that's a funny twist on the, on the logline. I'm just I I've, I'm I'm sorry, but I've fixated now on on what you just said a moment ago. Um, I like the idea that in the future, if there are aliens, we're going to need inevitably because we're humans, we're going to need a sort of anti-alien xenophobia uh, campaign to be mounted. And I'm just <laughs> I'm just imagining the the cheesy song featuring the lyrics that you just inadvertently created. There are lots of different alien races. Some have bums for faces, and I can just <laughs> I can just hear that. <laughs> to a strummed acoustic guitar, which reminds me of Lister's Indling song. What do you think? It's awful. Right. Okay. <laughs> Musically, it's lyrically, performatively, it's awful. <laughs> but it's meant it's to be. It's supposed to be, right? right yeah, okay. of course. We've already heard Rastabilly Skank. We know Lister has bad taste in music. And we know he, he might know more than one chord, but he only ever does one chord per song, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. What I don't get. Confidence is supposed to be a manifestation of this virus that presumably instills one with confidence. Mm. The, 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 the purpose, if there is a, a, an intellectual one, being 
that you can instill so much confidence in someone that they die <laughs> because of their overconfidence and yep. think, oh, I can jump out of the ship or I don't need to wear a helmet in space or I can stand in this fire for a bit, whatever. Like, if I had just done a song in public and someone came up to me going, hey, that was the best song I've ever heard. And then the main thing they described was their love of the rhyme scheme. Mm. That's, that is the equivalent of going to see a friend in a play and commenting on the lighting afterwards, right? Yes, like, it is. Th- there's, there's, if someone said that to me, oh, I love the rhyme scheme, I'd be like, oh, my God. Oh, I have to stop. I'm never writing a song again. That's terrible. Yeah, 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 absolutely. No, I mean, there's, 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 there's hip-hop where superficially you could go, oh, one of the things I really love about this song is the rhyme scheme. But actually what you mean is the, is the wit of how the words are rhymed, usually. There's no wit in the Indling song. Kindle, dwindle, dwindle. That's, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's witty in terms of comedy writing, but taken at face value as an actual love song, a lament that Lister has written, Kindle, dwindled and windle is, is, is not, as Confidence says, so deep. It's just rubbish. Do you know, but by the same token, if I'd just done a thing in public and, and this guy in a tight-fitting suit with pallid skin eating yoghurt said oh you look ridiculous doing that I'd be like yeah I know no change thanks for the comment <laughs> what what is confidence and paranoia's plan here they kill each other like what that's not a, is it a virus they're not very good at it they're not good very good at being a virus you'd have thought after three million years they'd be champing at the bit to mess up someone's days yeah they fail to spread don't they I mean like you know, just drawing on recent history, you know, with COVID, you had you'd have the newer, stronger variants coming out, and and they would displace the older, weaker variants. I guess if COVID was made manifest, maybe it would, you know, Omicron would decide to take out Delta or whatever in the same way. But obviously, that's not really what happens. It's just they're more infectious and more successful at, at spreading. But confidence is not very good at spreading. Okay, he can't spread anywhere. And maybe that's the answer. Maybe he commits suicide because he realizes he's got nowhere to go. Or oh, it's a last it's a it's a last salvo, right? It's a Hail Mary. He must be taking off the helmet to show Lister that Lister can take off his helmet. Yes. yes. Right? Look, watch this, Dave, and takes off yes. his helmet. But how does it help? How does it help spread the virus? Well, I guess if he hadn't died, then Lister would have gone, Oh, oh yeah, no, it doesn't. But then at the same time, who who's the virus gonna spread to? A hologram? Mm. A cat? Like there's not there's not many places for confidence paranoid to go. That's true. After this one host, maybe the weakness of this virus is the fact that its hallucinations are so dependent on the individual. Right? Confidence and paranoia is not inherent to the virus. The hallucinations are inherent to the virus, but they come from whatever the people. Give. So Lister references the confidence mm. and paranoia theory, doesn't it? Mm. Um, and and even personifies it. And Rimmer references the you know the exploding mayor and the rain of fish and. Then they're in Lister's mind, so they they it, it's just to spread, isn't it? That's that's what a virus wants to do is just is just to spread. But how is it? How is blowing up Lister outside the spaceship going to achieve that? If there are any virologists in our listenership, please write in. Tell us how. Tell us what you think confidence and paranoia were up to. Why they manifested in the way they did. I genuinely would love to know if there's a, if there's a proper scientific theory available as to as to why they might be doing it let, let me take it away from the viral idea a second and just talk about the characters of confidence and paranoia confidence is absolutely full of confidence yeah he wears those clothes he has those teeth <laughs> he has yeah. that voice uh, and that demeanor he's very very confident 
I would say that paranoia is very, very confident. He um, uh, speaks up uh, to insult people. He eats uh, three million year old yogurt. Mm. Uh, yeah, that is confident. Th- that's that stuff that if I was paranoid, yeah, I wouldn't need to do myself. Yeah, so you'd just be why... shivering in a corner. Yeah, yeah. The logline for this show is comedians talk red dwarf. Maybe it should be comedians overthink red dwarf. <laughs> like if we just change at this, it, then... at this point, we're just two blokes who invite comedians on to talk about red dwarf and then hang around <laughs> to take it way, way more seriously than it should be taken. Oh, I like it. How, how, as I think you said it last time. If if not now, when? <laughs> <laughs> that that's the real question this podcast seeks to answer. Yeah. And on that note, on that note, next week is an absolute doozy. We've got Nick Helm oh, talking yes. about Me Squared, the series finale before series finales were a thing. A, a tiny bit of uh, continuity between the episodes as well, from Confidence and Paranoia into Me Squared. That's really exciting. Yes, yes, it's not immediately undermined in Holly's opening crawl this time. <laughs> yeah, actually, right. Are two rumors and a real, uh, maybe the first true manifestation of Rimmer's self-loathing. Like we truly get to see it writ large in this episode for the first time. There's plenty yeah. of other opportunities and and plenty of slightly subtler ones this series. But mm. in terms of just oh wow, this guy is is not okay <laughs> me squared is quite a big big sign and who better to take us on that journey into the psyche of Arnold J. Rimmer than Nick Helm exactly see you then bye bye Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.